Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to this Book of Mormon podcast. This discussion is going to be 1 Nephi chapter 3. 1 Nephi chapter 3. So I want you to think about um, some of the things that are going on here between Laban and the brothers and uh, what justifies uh, Nephi in killing Laban. So we'll talk about that today. All right. Chapter 3. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, returned from speaking with the Lord to the tent of my father, and it came to pass that he spake unto me, saying, Behold, I have dreamed a dream in the which the Lord hath commanded me that thou and thy brethren shall return to Jerusalem. Now, let's think about how far they're traveling here. Um, they've traveled several days into the wilderness. This might be a trip as many as, as far as about 250 miles each way. So think about how long that might take and uh, the concern that they might have in doing so. Verse 3, For behold, Laban... Hugh Nibley said, who was Laban? He was the military governor of Jerusalem, we are told. They were out by night, remember, in secret council with the elders, and he was in his ceremonial armor when he met with them. Laman and Lemuel said, he's in charge of 50 men in the city and 10,000 men in the field. He was in charge of the city police. He was the governor of the city, and the records were kept at his house. They were family records, and he was related to Lehi. That was where they knew they could get their records because they were kept in the house of Laban, the military governor. Continuing verse 3, Laban hath the record of the Jews and also a genealogy of my forefathers, and they are engraven upon plates of brass. When he says brass plates, it is perfectly safe to think of those as bronze plates because brass is a mixture of copper and nickel, whereas bronze is copper and tin and much more common and, and easy to make. The main thing is it is copper-based. That was by Hugh Nibley. Ludlow said, in many of the Semitic languages which we get the thought patterns contained in the Book of Mormon, it is not customary to have the adjective precede the noun. Thus, the Book of Mormon mentions the plates of brass of Laban, but never refers to the brass plates of Laban. Again, this is translated material in a Hebrew context. Verse 4, Wherefore the Lord hath commanded me that thou and thy brothers should go unto the house of Laban and seek the records and bring them down hither into the wilderness. It appears that Laban was a relative of Lehi's, at least he was of the same lineage, and may have been the member of the family responsible for keeping the genealogy. And now behold thy brothers murmur, saying it is a hard thing which I have required of them, but behold I have not required it of them, but it is a commandment of the Lord. We might ask at this point, why did the Lord wait until they were more than 200, 200 miles away from home to command Lehi to get the plates? Could not arrangements have been made for them before they left Jerusalem? One more test. The older brothers immediately protested, saying it was a hard thing. We usually suppose that their foremost excuse for not wanting to go was their fear of Laban, but there is no doubt that the distance and topography also had some bearing on their resistance. The Book of Mormon itself and most Book of Mormon commentaries say little, if anything, about the distance and terrain involved. Professor Nibley refers to the two return trips as quick visits and quick trips, noting that Lehi's, and that's in quotes, noting that Lehi's sons made a flying trip back to Jerusalem. This writer and accompanying friends learned by walking it that the distance between Jerusalem and the Red Sea is 200 miles. 
Some authors insert a figure of 150 or so as the crow flies, but ancient Judahites were not crows and they didn't fly, and it was 200 miles to the Red Sea. An agreeable pace for a group of people on camels would be between 20 and 30 miles a day, so the journey was a minimum of seven or eight days. Add to that the three days they traveled after reaching the Red Sea, and the figures are up to 260 to 290 miles in 10 or 11 days. That is one direction only. The round trip that the Lord and Father Lehi were asking of the four sons was over 500 miles in at least three weeks through some of the most rugged terrain in the Near East, and they had no clue as to how they were going to obtain the plates. And we, having the advantage of knowing the end from the beginning, are amazed to think ahead and realize that Lehi, soon after his sons returned from their first assignment, would command them to go back again. That is over a thousand miles and many weeks on those desolate tracts of land. And we have often looked down on Laman and Lemuel for being chronic complainers. That was by Brother, Brother Ogden. Verse 6, Therefore go, my son, and thou shalt be favored of the Lord, because thou hast not murmured. And here we have our first scripture mastery verse, verse 7. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, said unto my father, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them, that they may accomplish the thing which he commandeth them. Elder Packer said, It is the way we answer the call that we show the measure of our devotion. Never say no to an opportunity to serve in the church. If you are called to an assignment by one who has authority, there is but one answer. It is, of course, expected that you set forth clearly what your circumstances are, but any assignment that comes under call from your bishop or your stake president is a call that comes from the Lord. An article of our faith defines it so, and I bear witness that it is so. Once called to such positions, do not presume to set your own date of release. A release is, in effect, another call. Men do not call themselves to offices in the church. Why must we presume that we have the authority to release ourselves? A release should come by the same authority from whence came the call. Act in the office to which you are called with all diligence. Do not be a slothful servant. Be punctual and dependable and faithful. Verse 8, And it came to pass that when my father had heard these words, he was exceedingly glad, for he knew that I had been blessed of the Lord. And I, Nephi, my brethren, took our journey in the wilderness with our tents to go up to the land of Jerusalem. Again, the distance uh, is about uh, 200 miles or so. Verse 10, And it came to pass that when we had gone up to the land of Jerusalem, I and my brethren did consult one with another. Notice that they say up to Jerusalem, that, and we're talking about altitude here, not going from north to south. Uh, verse 11, or from south to north, And we... So they're, they're going to do. They're going to use chance here to get the the plates. And he says, and we cast lots, who of us should go in unto the house of Laban. Now, while modern people might be familiar with casting lots to create a pure chance selection, it would be a disservice to these brothers to assume that the casting of lots was done to create a random assignment. Casting lots in the ancient world assumed that the randomness inherent in the lots opened the door for God to place His hand in the outcome. The casting of lots was used as a means of discovering the will of the Lord. Uh, Brother Ludlow says, The casting of lots was practiced extensively by the Hebrews of Old Testament times. This authentic and typical use of the custom in the Book of Mormon would again indicate that this part of the story in the Book of Mormon is concerned with a group of people with a Hebrew background and that the Book of Mormon is a translation of an ancient record. Uh, some of those that are mentioned is in Leviticus 16, 1 Samuel 14, 1 Chronicles 26, and so on. 
And it came to pass that the lot fell upon Laman. One of the reasons that the brothers are being sent back here is to give Laman a chance to be the leader of the family. So he's giving an given an opportunity here to be the leader and to take that leadership responsibility. And so we'll see how that goes. Uh, the lot fell upon Laman, and Laman went in unto the house of Laban. So Laman is apparently the only source for this encounter because he's by himself. And he talked with him as he sat in his house, and he desired of Laban the records which were engraven upon the plates of brass, which contained the genealogy of my father. And behold, it came to pass that Laban was angry and thrust him out from his presence, and he would not that he should have the records. Wherefore he said unto him, Behold, thou art a robber, and I will slay thee. Remember I asked at the beginning, if was there any justification for Nephi to kill Laban? In ancient times, um, if, you if your life was threatened, uh, that was cause or reason to, to be for self-defense and to kill a person. Um, and in this case here, uh, Laman is being threatened with his life. Um, Laban has sent his army, his soldiers, his servants after Laman to kill him. And so this is the first um, provocation. Verse 14, but Laman fled out of his presence and told the things which Laban had done unto us. And we began to be exceedingly sorrowful, and my brethren were about to return unto my father in the wilderness. But behold, I said unto them that as the Lord liveth and as we live, now Nephi is swearing an oath. What he's basically saying is, if we don't accomplish it, then God is not God. As we live, we will not go down unto our father in the wilderness until we have accomplished the thing which the Lord hath commanded us. Elder McConkie said, this matter of swearing with an oath in ancient days was far more significant than many of us have realized. For instance, Nephi and his brethren were seeking to obtain the plates of brass from Laban. Their lives were in peril, yet Nephi swore this oath. Thus Nephi made God his partner. If he failed to get the plates, it meant God had failed. And because God does not fail, it was incumbent upon Nephi to get the plates or lay down his life in the attempt. Verse 16, Wherefore, let us be faithful in keeping the commandments of the Lord. Therefore, let us go down to the land of our father's inheritance. This was not in Jerusalem. It was in the south and east of Jerusalem. That was Elder Mac Brother, Brother Nibley. For behold, he left gold and silver and all manner of riches, and all this he hath done because of the commandments of the Lord. So now they're going from chance to using the earth or, the, or man's judgment to, to try to buy the plates by giving of their stuff, of their gold and silver. Verse 17, For he knew that Jerusalem must be destroyed because of the wickedness of the people. For behold, they have rejected the words of the prophets. Wherefore, if my father should dwell in the land after he hath been commanded to flee out of the land, behold, he would also perish. Wherefore, it must needs be that, that he flee out of the land. And behold, it is wisdom in God that we should obtain these records, that we may preserve unto our children the language of our fathers, and also that we may preserve unto them the words which have been spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets, which have been delivered unto them by the Spirit and power of God since the world began, even down unto this present time. The brass plates contained an account of the words of the prophets and seers from the time of the creation to the time of Lehi and Jeremiah, or in other words, from about 4000 BC to 600 BC. It was a more extensive and complete record of God's dealings with his children than our present Bible. It appears to be primarily a record kept by those who descended from Joseph and also a record of prophets of the tribe of Joseph. This verse attests that all the holy prophets have testified of sacred truths common to all generations. That was a quote by um, Millet McConkie. Sidney B. Sperry suggests that the prophets in both nations probably paid little attention to the political lines of division, but it is improbable that all of them had their words recorded in the scriptures of both nations. 
The brass plates may well have been the official scripture of the ten tribes. It is probable that some prophets wrote on, the, on these plates, whose writings may not have been recorded on the records kept in Judah. Were Zenos, Zenic, Nehem, and Isaiah among them? Joseph Smith's translation of the Bible, in fact, may contain some of the information found on the plates of brass. Robert J. Matthews suggested that the Joseph Smith translation, having received the touch of restoration through the hand of the prophet of God, resembles the doctrinal content of the brass plates more fully than does any other Bible. Uh, now back to 21. And it came to pass that after this manner of language that I persuade my brethren that they might be faithful in keeping the commandments of God. And it came to pass that we went down to the land of our inheritance and we did gather together our gold and our silver and our precious things. This is, again, like the worldly way of, of making a decision here. While not specifically stated, it might be reasoned that Lehi left servants in charge of the family holdings. It would be hard to imagine that a significant wealth such as Lehi apparently had accumulated would go for very long entirely unguarded. Certainly the, land and the lands and goods were not sold nor exchanged prior to the journey into the wilderness, a fact which doubtless encouraged Laman and Lemuel's assumption that they could return to their former life. And after he had, we had gathered these things together, we went up again into the, unto the house of Laban, and it came to pass that we went in unto Laban, and desired him that he would give unto us the records which were engraven upon the plates of brass, for which we would give unto him our gold and our silver and all our precious things. And it came to pass that when Laban saw our property, and that it was exceedingly great, he did lust after it, insomuch that he thrusteth out and sent his servants to slay us that he might obtain our property. So here's provocations number two and three. He sends servants after uh, the boys to kill them, but he also takes their possessions, which in, in their view is actually their inheritance. So that's taking away their livelihood or their ability to make a living. Uh, so he's actually threatening their lives twice, once going after them to try to kill them and then also stealing their inheritance. Uh, which was their livelihood. Verse 27, And it came to pass that we fled into the wilderness, and the servants of Laban did not overtake us, and we hid ourselves in the cavity of a rock. Recently, the published research, and I'm going to talk about the, the cave that they went into here, which has been discovered uh, recently. This is in 1961. The published research of three non-LDS scientists have found such a cavity of a rock 22 miles southeast of Jerusalem, just east of Hebron. <clears throat> the reconstruction of the site by these scholars astonishingly resembles the Book of Mormon account of Nephi's refuge in the cavern. It is expected that Nephi and his party with the brass plates would head toward the Hebron area to seek refuge. Historically, Joshua had designated the city of Hebron as a city of refuge, where those unjustly or rashly accused could find safety. Nephi and his party fled from the servants of Laban on the southern road, which also leads ultimately to the valley of Lemuel, Al-Bedah, where Lehi was camped, but additionally passes through Hebron, the city of refuge. Ten miles east of Hebron is a cave uncovered during the construction of a highway in 1961 that for ages has been called by the local populace Kirbet Biet Lei, the ruins of the house of Lehi, or even the ruins of Lehi's family, as Biet means either house or family. <clears throat> a display in the Israel Museum of Jerusalem shows artifacts from a cave some 23 miles southwest of Jerusalem in an area known as Leah or Lehi or Lehi. 
They are dated to 600 years before Jesus' time and seem to connect to Lehi's family departing the area of Jerusalem. The oldest known writing of the name of Jerusalem and the spelling out of the name of Jehovah appears in the cave. And that was by Daniel Rona. <clears throat> Verse 28, And it came to pass that Laman was angry with me and also with my father, and also was Lemuel, for he hearkened unto the words of Laman. Wherefore Laman and Lemuel did speak many hard words unto us, their younger brothers, and they did smite us even with a rod. Now what is this rod that they're that they're using here? Did they just pick up a stick off the ground? And every free man in the East carries a stick, the immemorial badge of independence and of authority. And every man asserts his authority over his inferiors by his stick, which shows that the holder is a man of position superior to the workmen or day laborers. The government officials, superior officers, tax collectors, and schoolmasters use this short rod to threaten, or if necessary, to beat their inferiors, whoever they may be. The usage is very ancient. A blow for a slave is the ancient maxim in Ahakar, and the proper designation of an underling uh, is stick servant. That, this is exactly the sense in which Laman and Lemuel intended their little lesson on, to Nephi. For when the angel turned the tables, he said to them, Why do ye smite your younger brother with a rod? Know ye not that the Lord hath chosen him to be a ruler over you? And that was by Hugh Nibley. Verse 29, It came to pass, as they smote us with a rod, behold, an angel of the Lord came and stood before them. And he spake unto them, saying, Why do ye smite your younger brother with a rod? Know ye not that the Lord hath chosen him to be a ruler over you? And this because of your iniquities? Behold, ye shall go up to Jerusalem again, and the Lord will deliver Laban into your hands. And after the angel had spoken unto us, he departed. And after the angel had departed, Laman and Lemuel again began to murmur, saying, How is it possible that the Lord will deliver Laban into our hands? Behold, he is a mighty man. And he can command 50, yea, even he can slay 50, then why not us? So Laman and Lemuel, in spite of the fact of seeing an angel, are not showing any faith whatsoever um, and are doubting even after the angel has talked to them. These verses dramatize the principle that something as remarkable as the rending of the veil and the appearance of angels has little, if any, lasting influence upon hardened souls, souls which are not attuned to the infinite. President Joseph Fielding Smith taught that a visitation of an angel would not leave the impression that we receive through a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. Personal visitations might become dim as time goes on, but this guidance of the Holy Ghost is renewed and continued day after day, year after year, if we live to be worthy of it. The testimony of the Holy Ghost is the strongest testimony that can be given. It is better than a personal visit. I bear testimony to the truth of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time.